All right, good morning again, guys. I want you to, I want to start this morning by, by asking you, when was the last time you were drugged to a wedding? Like maybe, maybe it was when you were a kid, uh, maybe it was yesterday, uh, it is summertime, prime time for that. I, I know for me, a very specific instance, whenever I was drugged to a wedding, I was around eight or nine, we got any eight or nine-year-olds, eight or nine-year-olds in the room right now, maybe a few, all right, that's what I'm talking about. Uh, but I remember I was drugged to a wedding with my mom. I don't know where my dad and brothers were. Somehow they, they just evaded that. And I got drugged to this wedding. It was an outdoor summer wedding, which is always fun, right? And to add insult to injury, it was, it was an outdoor wedding, and it was next to a pool. And in the pool, there was like these lily pads that they were using as decoration. And so I was outside. It was hot, and I was next to a pool. So, um, so yeah, it's just, that was kind of my experience in being drugged to a wedding. And I, I went to a wedding about a month ago, and, uh, and this was actually a great wedding. I wanted to be at this wedding. I was officiating the wedding, so at least I had something to do. And at this wedding, it was, it was a summertime, obviously, but it was in the evening. It was inside. It was great. Like, the, the bride looked great. The groom looked great. The decorations were beautiful. It was just this, this small setting everything was going perfect and because it was such a small amount of people uh, the bride and groom chose to feed all of the guests so we were going to have dinner um, and, and we were waiting for that we were having refreshments uh, while we were waiting and so uh, the food was about five minutes late and then five minutes turned to 10 minutes 10 minutes turned to 20 20 minutes turned to 30 and lo and behold the food the business that was supposed to cater the food did not bring it and so this is a wedding. This is at a wedding, right? And so this was, it was kind of in the middle of nowhere, so there was no running down the street to get a Wendy's four for four. There was no, like, going to Little Caesars to get some hot and ready pies. None of that was happening. And so we told our kids, hey, for the first time ever in their lives, eat as much cake as you want. <laughs> and so they did. And so did I. I had, I had cake for a side salad. I had cake with dressing as a main course to top it off with a little mixture of cake for, for, for dessert. But um, it was just one of those situations where it's just nobody's fault. Like it wasn't the groom's fault. It wasn't the bride's fault. It wasn't the parent's fault. It certainly wasn't my fault. But, well, I, I will say that it's, it's chicken salad chick's fault is who it is. It's really their fault. But there's just a certain level, and you can see it on their faces. You can hear it on their voices. There was a certain amount of just shame and, and guilt and embarrassment for not having the food there for a wedding. And you, got, you guys would feel the same way. You would understand that. Even though it's not their fault, there was just this level of shame and guilt associated with it. And, and if any of you have, have heard the story from John chapter 2, you, you can probably see some of the similarities. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 2. And, and in the book of John, 
we see in chapter 2, we see Jesus uh, attending a wedding. We see Jesus going to a wedding. He's invited um, by his mother along with some of his disciples. And, and this, was not, this was not a ruin your whole day wedding. This was probably a whole day wedding because in this time, in this culture, wedding festivities could take place across multiple days. And so if you are committed to going to a wedding, okay, in ancient, uh, in ancient Israel, you are there for the long haul. But, uh, but if you've got your Bibles, we can, you can pick it up on John chapter 2, and you can also read along with me on the screens. But it says, On the third day there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus also was invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And this is a big deal in, in Jewish culture. Okay, this is a very big deal. There is a certain level of shame and embarrassment associated with the family if they run out of wine. And this is mainly the, the family of the groom's responsibility to provide the wine. And if they cannot do that, that sends several messages. It sends the message that uh, they did not plan this out, that they were not prepared, that they, they lack the ability, that they lack the resources to adequately provide, not just for their son, but for the bride that they are receiving. Okay? It sends so many bad messages, and it's such a big embarrassment to the family. Okay, And so not only, not only would this cause embarrassment, but I've read that in some cases, if it's so bad, if the offense is so great, that the offending party can actually be fined. Like they could have a fine place against them. Have you ever been to a party that was so bad, you feel like you need to be compensated? Like, it's, it's that bad. Like, we need to be getting paid something. Like, I know celebrities sometimes get paid to show up to parties, but I don't think it's the same thing, right? So, I mean, if you, if you show up, if you find out what they're serving at a party, and you get on the phone, and you find out that they're, they're serving what? They're vegan burgers and cauliflower rice? Like, no, I'm not going to that, right? And if you eat those things, good for you. That's healthy, but don't serve that at a party, Okay. You'll, you'll lose friends that you may have already. But, but all of this, it, it goes to show the, the premium, the importance that's placed on hospitality in the Jewish culture. Okay, And so let's pick it up in verse 4. Verse 4 says, And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now, Jesus calling his mother woman in this passage, it doesn't have the offense that it would say in Mississippi, right? Coming from your kids, right? So we're safe. Jesus is safe on this one. Um, but, but Jesus, but Mary does say something that should be a standing order for us all. Do whatever he tells you. So kids, listen to your mama and listen to Jesus' mother, okay? All right, do whatever he tells you to do. Okay, verse 6. Now there were six stone jars, six, there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. We'll come back to that in a minute. Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, 
Everyone serves the good wine first, and then people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the first of his designs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. So here we have Jesus turning water into wine at a wedding. And this is considered his first miracle, um, but it's not like most others that we see, is it? Like when we think of Jesus in, in the Jesus-esque miracles that we think of, we think of feeding 5,000 people. We think of a man who can't see and have his, has his sight restored. We think of a man who can't walk. Okay, and Jesus tells him that he can now walk and he gets on his feet. We think of Lazarus. We think of so many other different kinds of miracles. We don't necessarily think of this one as being that big of a deal. Like turning water into wine seems a little out of place. It seems, it seems really simple. It seems almost trivial in a way. But what Jesus did, okay, as his first miracle, what Jesus did is, is he began to slow drip his deity. He began to slow drip who he was, beginning to reveal to first to his disciples who he was, and then later slowly, bit by bit, reveal to the world who he was. Because the world was not ready to receive all that he was, was ready to tell them. And so Jesus began to slowly drip who he was. Because if you think about this miracle, the servants knew what was going on. The servants knew exactly what happened. But there's people at the wedding, there's people at the party Maybe that some of them knew they were low on wine. Most of them didn't care. As long as the wine keeps going, we're good. Don't care where it came from, we're fine. Okay? And so in, in this miracle, Jesus saves a family from shame, from embarrassment. He keeps the party going. But we also see that his disciples believed. He begins to engage his disciples in belief. I don't know how many of you have seen any of the Chosen series uh, that's been kind of released over, over the past couple years. One of the things that, that I love that's, that's very real about that series is that when Jesus is working, when Jesus is performing miracles and doing things, I love the conversations that the disciples have off to the side because they're all just trying to wrap their minds around, hey, did you see what he did the other day? Did you see what happened? Did you see that? Were you there for that? Like Those are conversations that we would have if we were following around with him. And so... For me personally, over, over the last 15 years or so of, of doing ministry, um, this story, this miracle, has warmed my heart in a way because it reveals something about Jesus. It, it, it reveals something about his character. It reveals something about who he is and what he does. Um, because there's pieces of this miracle that reveal his nature. And let me, let me show you what I mean by that. Um, I want us to, to back up to verse 6. Let's take a look at verse 6 real quick. Okay. It says, now there were six stone jars there for Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So how many jars are we talking? There's six, okay? How much can they hold? 20 to 30 gallons, okay? And so the text tells us that they filled them to the brim, okay? So for simplicity's sake, let's go 30, all right? Let's go higher number so that we can all be on the same page. Uh, I wanted you to get out your phones or get out a calculator, pull up the calculator app, Let's, let's crunch some numbers real fast, okay? I want you to see these numbers, okay? Rebecca, don't judge us, okay? We're not all of us all good at math, all right? Um, 
I might need to do this as I'm doing it, but um, I, I've got these numbers written down. I want you to see the numbers that we're dealing with here. Okay, so we've got six, six jars, 30 gallons each. I want you to go six times 30. What do you get? 180. Okay, so we're talking 180 gallons of wine. All right, let's, let's bring that further into perspective, okay? The standard bottle of wine today is about 750 milliliters, or so I'm told, okay? Um, so let's divide, the, what that makes is, that makes about five bottles of wine per gallon, okay? So let's go 180 times five. What does that give us? Okay, 900 bottles of wine on the wall, 900 bottles of wine. Okay, that's gonna take a long time to get through, okay? And in a quick Google search will tell you that, that in a setting like this, um, one bottle would serve six people, okay? It would be six rounds of wine. So let's take 900, multiply it times six, and we get what? 5,400 rounds of wine. Now keep in mind, this is, this is after they've served the wine they already had. And we don't know how many people were at the wedding, but if there were 200 people present, there would be 27 rounds of wine each. You don't need that much, okay? All right. If there were 300 people there, there would be 18 rounds each, still too much. 400 people, 13 and a half rounds. Okay, again, after, after they already used up the wine that they had. And so not only does Jesus turn water into wine, but he makes a ton of it, a ton of it. And what this reveals about the nature and character of God is that he is extravagant. He's extravagant. He's, he's a giver. He is the God of plenty. You see this when he makes extra food, whenever he feeds the 5,000. What's left over? Tons and tons, baskets full of bread. Whenever Peter makes the great catch, whenever uh, there's so many fish that other boats had to come over to help Peter haul all of that in, um, because we serve an extravagant God. We serve a God who is, is a God of abundance. Paul describes Jesus in Ephesians 3 as him who is able to do far more abundantly than we could ever think or ever ask. Sometimes we don't ask enough of God. And there are times, there are times, many times in our lives that God is extravagant. But to be fair, there are also times that God sometimes gives you exactly what you need. There are times that you need a certain financial amount and a stranger gives you a check for that exact amount. Sometimes you need to find a gas station because you've been riding on E for too long and you are coasting and you can, you can feel the engine dying as you coast into that pump. Anybody ever happen? Yeah, one time to me, never again, okay? So sometimes God, God does those things to remind us that he's here, remind us that he's near, that, he, that he's near to us. But it is in his nature to be extravagant. It's in his nature to give to his children. Matthew 7 says, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask for them, okay? So not only is God generous in all that he does, but I want us to look again at something that the master of the feast said, okay? Um, the master of feast, what verse was that? Was that later? Was that like verse 7 maybe? Okay, yeah, here we go, verse 9. Um, 
Master of the feast calls over the groom to him and he says, When the master of the feast tasted the water now become wine and did not know where it came from. You go to the next verse. Okay. Though the servants knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom. You can keep it going. And he said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely, then the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. And I've always loved the fact that Jesus' wine was the best. Right? It was, not, it was not wine that you kind of took a sip and said, eh, that'll work. But, but when Jesus gets his hands on something, he makes it great. Okay? This was not wine that you could buy a value pack at Sam's. This is not wine that comes in a box that you can get at Kroger. Um, but when Jesus does something, it is the very best. This is who he is, and this is what he does. Okay? The, the quantity of God and the quality of God. Okay? When he turned water into wine at Cana, this was not just a sign of the miraculous uh, a sign of his deity. It was absolutely those things. But this is the sign. This is a sign of the work that he does for you and for me on the cross. And this is the sign of the work that he does inside of us as well. Okay? This is the great work that he does in you and in me. In laying down his life, Jesus paid for the sins of you and me. His sacrifice paid the debt that we owe. His sacrifice uh, and, and the forgiveness that he gives us, washes away all of our sins for those who believe. We experience, and we'll experience life in the fullest whenever we enter into his kingdom one day. But there's also a work that Jesus does in us, in the here, in the now, in the sanctification process, that he makes us holy, okay? That he transforms us, that he changes us. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Okay, and so on the day that you said yes to Jesus, okay, on the day that you laid your life down, Jesus began this process in you. He began this process to mold you, to shape you, to transform you, to whittle away some of the, the rough edges, to pull away and remove some of the sin in your life, uh, to make you into the creation that you were meant to be. Okay, to make you great. Okay. And to give you this, this abundant life that only he can give you. And, and abundance comes in a lot of different shapes and sizes, doesn't it? Sometimes we think of abundant life and having abundance and having money, right? It means money. It can mean having money. It can mean having great relationships, great friendships, great family relationships. It can mean, uh, it can mean being healthy. It can mean being mobile. It can mean uh, having, having your family love the Lord and serve the Lord. It can mean having a job that is fulfilling, that gives you meaning, that gives you purpose. Um, the work that he does for us on the cross is great and abundant. And the work that he does in you is great and abundant. It is, it is the best wine. It is top shelf. This is who he is, and this is what he does. Okay, so Jesus is not in the business of making people average, but instead making them great. When he gets his hands on something, he makes it great. So if you're a dad, Jesus wants you to be a great dad. If you're a mom, Jesus wants you to be a phenomenal mom. If you're a teacher, he wants you to be a great teacher. Plumber wants you to be a great teacher. If you're retired and you have a heart for, for serving, he wants you to serve to the greatest of your capacity. Okay? 1 Corinthians 
10 says that whatever you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you parent, whether you teach, whether you plumb, whatever it is that you do, do it to the glory of God. Okay? Because when he has his hands on you, he can make you great. Okay? He has that power. He has that ability. Trust that he who began a good work in you will see it to completion. Okay, so I want to I close with this. Um, not only was, was water being turned into wine the sign that Jesus does for us, and, but it reveals something also about his love for us, his care for us, and, and his presence with us. Okay? Because if you remember, there was a couple people at this wedding feast that were stressed. They were desperate. Okay? They needed something to happen. And so what they did was they brought their heavy stone jars of water and they did what they could, and they gave those to Jesus. Now, we, bring, we all bring our own burdens, our own weight. We carry those in here with us this morning. And they all look different. I'm willing to bet no one in here is concerned about having enough wine for a party. But I am willing to bet some of us carry the burdens of, how are we going to make this payment this month? Okay. Does my husband want to, to work this marriage out? Does my wife want to work this marriage out? What about this, what about this cancer? Will the treatment work? How will we cope with this loss? Okay, my husband's not a believer. My daughter has walked away from the Lord. We, we all carry with us different types of burdens in different seasons of life. Some of us more than others. But what Jesus promises us in his abundance and in his great work is that he is with us. And so no matter how, many, how much burden we carry, no, how, no matter how much we, we may put a stone jar of water on our back, we can give that to Jesus and we can trust him to turn that into wine and turn that into a miracle. If we're willing to give that up, if we're willing to consistently trust him with that. And he can do it because that's who he is and that's what he does. Would you guys bow your heads? Jesus, we, we sit in your presence this morning and we read these words um, of the day that you turn water into wine and, and our prayer is that is that you would change us in the same way that you would refine us that you would that you would transform us that you would continue to do a work in us that you began um, one that you have promised to see to completion Help us to give that part up that doesn't want to change. Help us to, to let go of the sin that grips us. Help us to, to offload the burdens that we carry and to trust you with them. And we ask this in the abundant, giving, wonder-working name of Jesus Christ. Amen.